Uh, but man, let's go ahead. We are going to open our Bibles uh, one last time. Uh, not generally, but just in the book of James today. We're going to be uh, closing out a series that we started 12 weeks ago, really 17 weeks ago. But uh, this was a 12th sermon through, uh, man, this book. And we're going to be uh, finishing up with James chapter 5 uh, in this letter of practical wisdom. That, man, as I've reflected on, man, our time in James, uh, man, I hope uh, that, that as we've journeyed through this together that you have uh, been both encouraged, but also, and I believe, man, this letter, I believe the entirety of God's word presents this, that we are not only encouraged by God's word, uh, but also the man that this letter uh, even brought conviction. Uh, in your life, uh, that as we looked at and we saw, man, James, he really, he, he pulls no punches and he calls us to a lot of things that it was both encouraging, both encouraging, but also convicting because I believe that both are needed. We need both encouragement from God's word, but also we need the conviction of his word. You see, through encouragement, we are spurred on in grace to live out the good news in every circumstance due to the hope that we have in the finished work of Jesus. Not hope that we have in ourselves, but in the person and work of Jesus, we find hope. And man, James displays this over and over again, right? Like he begins the letter with, count it all joy. He talks about remaining steadfast, about being patient in each and every circumstance, even in the midst of suffering. I mean, the only reason that James can say that is because of Jesus. The only reason that we can have joy in the midst of suffering, the only reason we can see and and, uh, God work through the midst of trials to make us what, what James describes as perfect and complete, lacking no good thing, is through Jesus. But also we see conviction through the Word of God. You see, in the same way encouragement spurs us onward, conviction leads to lives of repentant transformation that deepen our faith, draw us to grace and away from sin so that we might walk in deeper freedom and encouragement in light of the gospel. And man, if if you saw anything from James, we also saw that. Man, over and over and over again, he talks about the power of the tongue, the need to tame the tongue, right? That it is, uh, man, an evil that that spews. And he talks about a man not quarreling. Uh, We uh, see that we are not to be a people who are partial uh, towards sin, but also towards others. That we are to have active faith. Not just claiming faith with our words, but claiming faith with our lives and the way we live. And he calls us to turn away from selfishness and pride. In truth, the whole counsel of God's word, the Bible, is meant to be both a book of deep encouragement while also being the reveal of our need through conviction. This is not simply living a life that is a glass half full life, nor is it a life of weighty condemnation. Rather, this is a life of depth. It is a life of real living and of actual joy that expresses itself in worship as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so with that said, I want to stretch us a little bit. Um. Man, as we've journeyed through James, really quickly, how have you been encouraged and or convicted by this letter? Again, this is where you respond. How have you been encouraged or convicted by this letter? 
No takers? We got time. Humbled. Humbled. How so? <laughs> Sorry, that's the counselor in me. Well, tell me about that. Mm. It's good. Now we can see that in two sides, right? Like humility can come by conviction, but also humility should be a great encouragement to our heart because it's by God's grace. In that, like we see that our actions are not enough and yet his are. And that's what transforms us. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Right? Like we can become so enamored with suffering and trials that we don't we forget the good news. Right? That he's making all things new, you know. He's actually sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning in all authority. And he will return and make all things new. Watching your tongue. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Mm. And it's so good that we have God's word to say, hey, remember this, you know. Hmm. Dead, yeah, yeah. So showing that faith, right? Yeah. Not that we're saved by what we do, but man, it is a mark. It is the fruit of a transformed heart. Yeah, don't just listen and read it. Do it, man. No grumbling, <laughs> right? If you didn't listen to the sermon last week, we talked about grumbling. And I think some people grumble because of that. But, <laughs> but some of you probably caught yourself this week. You're like, darn it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's so many. Like, and, and I th- man, that should become part of who we are. Like, we should be a people that, not just, uh, that we don't just hear the word. But, man, we process the word. And then we see, man, the fruit of it in our lives. And we should talk about it. And this is where I'm seeing that encouragement. And even in the conviction, that conviction is not judgment. It's the grace of God to transform our lives. That, that should be something that is a part of who we are. It should be a natural rhythm. And so with that in mind, I, I, let's look now at James 5. We're going to look at t- verses 12 through 15 to begin our time. And then we'll close out uh, here in a bit with the rest of it. It says this. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If any, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Alright, so following this call to patience and suffering that we looked at last week. Uh, which uh, is, as I shared last week, that, that, that call is really, uh, man, it finds its foundation at the beginning of this letter. When he says, man, uh, man, find it joyful in the midst of trials, right? Like have joy. James, 
in this moment, following verses 7 through 11, he makes this quick transitional statement in verse 12 where he says, hey, uh, he says to those that were hearing it then and for us today who are reading it now, he says, look, don't swear uh, by heaven or earth or, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, don't swear by your mother or on your mother's grave or whatever it is, but rather just let your yes and no suffice. You see, James is called a patient suffering dependent. It only comes by God's grace. And then he begins verse 12 with a but uh, with above all, which really should make us stop and give way to what he's saying. So what is James saying? Well, a lot of all he's been sharing regarding these circumstances that the people find themselves in in James, and man, in terms of our own life and the, the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in, he, what he's essentially saying is, hey, don't write checks with your mouths that your lives can't cash. He, he shared a little bit about this, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we looked at, man, he, he's like, hey, you can't stop, like, you can't even cr- control your tongue. You, because you're so selfish and prideful, you can't stop quarreling. Don't tell me what you're going to do tomorrow, right? He's saying that in life, you're not to be boastful about what you will and won't do in ways that, em- that embellish the response to their circumstances. You see, James is saying in the midst, you, you are to dependently trust God by being a truth teller. In the midst of every circumstance. You see, often what we do in these moments is we'll run and we'll, we'll hit a circumstance and, and we'll go to God and say, God, if you'll do this, I promise to do fill in the blank, right? Or God, I'll never do this again and, you know, I'm never going to do that, so I need you to do this thing. I I promise I won't do that. But you see, our call is to be level-headed truth-tellers that do not move to the emotional mountains and valleys of promising things or claiming things that are either not biblical or the will of God. You see, in life, and especially in light of our broken lives due to sin, man, the act of embellishing, the act of overpromising, the act of seeking to cover up our, our sin is rampant in each and every life. Man, it's rampant in our culture. Uh, that, that's essentially what sin is. Sin is something that promises everything but delivers nothing. You've been listening to working through a revelation series with us. That's what we learned about last week. That man, the, 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 the woman on the dragon, she is promising everything, but she can't deliver anything. Right? That's what sin says. I will give you everything, right? In the garden, right? And yet it delivers nothing. It's death. And James is calling us to the same. Especially in terms of the yeses and noes that we give, the things that we promise, the things that we swear by. He says, don't do it. We all live lives at times of fishermen tales, right? Have you ever been around someone who's fishing and you say, well, how big was the fish? And at first it's this big and then it's this big and then or the number of fish, right? Our my son and nephew had their last soccer game this week, and man, they just, they dominated, right? Like, they just, and I asked my nephew, I said, hey, how many goals you scored? And he was like, seven. I was like, no. 
No, you score like four, okay? Like, four's a lot, man. Just be good with four, you know? But he was like, nope, it was like seven, you know? (laughs) But like, it's all, like, that's always it, right? Like, we always want to embellish it and make it seem better than it is. Make ourselves seem better than we are. We claim things, share things, and story in ways that place the fulfillment of our wills and desires at the forefront rather than God's. And in doing so, we reveal again that our trust and hope is in the independent self rather than dependence upon Jesus. Simply stated, when we do that, we show ourselves to be liars. And again, this is not something we have to be taught. From the youngest of ages, the inherent pattern of lies, boasting, and embellishment is rooted in the very nature of who we are. I've shared it before, you're not a liar because you lie, you lie because your nature is a liar, right? And we can't fix that, right? Only Jesus can. But for our time today, what we need to see is that James understands the temptation to make all these promises, to to say more than just yes and no, especially in light of suffering, right? You see, oftentimes in the midst of life, in the midst of whether it be our own brokenness and sin or just the brokenness of life and the suffering around us, we, uh, may we do one of a few things. We'll make light of it and say it's not really that bad. We'll embellish it and make it sound, make ourselves sound way better or the situation be way better than it actually is. Or what's happening a lot nowadays is we just hold truth as relative. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Let's all be a happy family, right? You see, the thing about that is, is if what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me, what if my truth says yours is a lie? One of us is lying. And this is not what we're called to. You see, in light of the good news of the gospel, which is the good and true story that reveals the truth of all that was, is, and is to come, we find that, man, as followers of Jesus, we do not have to make light of things. We don't have to over-embellish. We don't see truth as relative. There is a standard of truth, and it is God's Word. And as truth-tellers, we tell our story in light of the greater story of redemption. Our lives are not to be marked by oaths regarding what we will and won't do. You see, in in James' time, people would swear by earth or by the moon or the stars. Uh, They, they, I mean, it was it was a practice that was both encouraged, but also it was very serious. See, but our lives are to be different. Our lives are to be marked by the security that is only found in Jesus. A security that allows us to simply say yes to what we need to say yes to and no to what we need to say no to. But the problem is is that we struggle to simply say yes and no, do we not? Let's look at the problem of our yes. Man, to say yes means to say no to other things, and we don't like that, right? Like we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want all of it. We had to go to a funeral this week and we were going to take our kids out of school and our oldest was upset because she was going to miss a day of school and her response was, I want that medal. 
Because if you don't miss any days of school, you get a medal. And like she wants that. And so we're like, it's a half a day of school. Like we're going to have, we're going to go to this, uh, we have to go to this funeral, but we're, we're going to go to a children's museum. We're going to do all this stuff. And man, she just wasn't having it. And then two days later we say, Hey, we're not going to do that. You're going to get to go to school and we're just going to, and then she was mad about that, right? Like she was like, but no, I want to go to the children's. She was like, I want it all. I want the medal and I want the children's museum. And you're like, you can't have it. Okay. But that's us. Like we want it all. We want to say yes to everyone and everything. Because guess what, man? Uh, a, a, a part of our, If your identity is set in anything other than Jesus, man, guess what we tend to want? Man, we want others to like us. Is it wrong for other people to like us? No, we should be, actually, we should be winsome, likable people as followers of Jesus. But often we worship that. We find identity in that. And so we say yes to everything. We overpromise because we believe that we can do more than we actually can. And in turn, we do nothing but underdeliver and disappoint by going back on our words or doing a lackluster job. You see, there's a different kind of yes. There is a gospel yes. Uh, for some of you, the, the way you term it is, well, this is my best yes. And I give, you know, I give people a hard time with them. Well, this is my best yes for the moment. I believe that's true, right? Like at times, like, man, you need to give, like, that's a gospel yes. Like, what is God calling you to do? And that's what you should say yes to. It's a yes that is based upon the dependence upon God. And and guess what this means? This means that your best yes is not necessarily what is easiest or most comfortable to you. See, that oftentimes is what people's best yes is. Well, my best yes is this. Well, no, did God call you to that or is that just comfortable and easy? Maybe he did. But maybe he didn't, and maybe you need to pray about that. What is God calling you into? So we have yes, but then there's also a problem with our no, because to say no means that you're saying yes to one thing and to not all things, which we don't like, because that's not inclusive. You say no to something, you're not inclusive. Along with this, you can't say, you can't say no to everything. And for some of us, like we just, it's like, well, because I don't want to say, yeah, I'm just going to say no to everything, which that's not right either. Right. Like, that's where I tend to run. I just I'm going to do nothing and take naps like, no, I don't want to do that. No, don't want to do that. No. But guess what? Guess what happens when you say no to everything? Things get decided for you. When you say no to everything, when you underpromise, it likely reveals a dependence on your own strength and or an unbelief in your identity and security in Jesus that says, even if you fail, you're enough in Christ. A gospel no is knowing and being secure in what God has called you into. It means growing in dependence that God will finish his work and you don't have to do or be everything. Anybody feel that already? Like the holidays? Like we did our first Thanksgiving yesterday. Okay? Like, but it's coming. And man, do you, you already feel like I got to do everything. I got to be everything. You don't just say no to that. Just right now. I'd be like, nope, not happening. And when it comes up and tries to creep up, get no. It calls you to rest that what he's called you to is enough and nothing more is required. So today, what are you saying yes to that you need to say no to? And I would encourage you to pray about that. And what are you saying no to that you need to simply say yes to? 
Also, how do you need to grow in dependent trust in the midst of all these things that God is enough and he'll finish the work he started? Which goes back to why we grumble, right? A couple more things here. First, the standard for yes and no is the word of God, not your opinion. And on the other side of this, you being a truth teller has to be rooted in love. You can say a lot of true things and still be in sin. Following this call to dependent and secure yes and no living, James moves to a call to faith-filled prayers, the church, beginning in verse 13. He says, hey, look, is anyone among you, right? Which we, we need to stop and just say, man, that, that's a rhetorical question. Like as we work through it, you'll see, no, we all have need and we all are among them. This rhetorical question is centered not on the individual, though, but also it's centered on the body of Christ. You see, this is a question to a community of believers, a community that we will see that is meant to willingly live out transparent honesty before others so that they might grow and change. Guess what? You keeping your needs to yourself does no good for you. You have need and you have been gifted with the body of Christ as a grace for your life. Another way that we should be asking this is, man, how should we be praying? But also, how can we be praying for one another? Oftentimes we say, hey, you know, whether it's in our missional communities or at Equip, it's like, hey, how can we be praying for another? And it's just crickets. And we all should come with something and be like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And let's pray for it. Let's pray about it. So James says, is anyone among you? And then he begins by calling us to realize, is anyone among you suffering? Which has been a theme of this letter. We've already seen this as verses 7 through 11, but our response to this would be for people to pray for us in the midst of it. He says, let him pray, but it's not just, yes, we should pray. God, give me strength in the midst of suffering. Uh, Man, I need your spirit to help me. I cannot do this on my own. But we also are to be honest and let others know I'm suffering. Will you pray for me? And man, if that's you, like if you, if someone comes to you, don't just pray for them. Say, okay, but also how can I practically help you? You see, to pray in the midst of suffering is to trust and actively wait on the Lord. Next, he says, is anyone among you cheerful? And I love it because it's not just, hey, you're suffering, but also, man, we should pray, which is an act of praise. Man, when things are, man, God is doing a mighty work and we are cheerful, right? We should celebrate. Like, you just look at the Psalms. The Psalms is this dichotomy of both. There is, man, deep suffering, but also, man, great worship, right? David is just laying it all out there. Praise is the act of voicing prayers to God for His faithfulness, love, and the provision of His Son that gives us life. We are to be cheerful. Guess what? You're also to be cheerful even in the midst of suffering. Psalm 13 is one of my favorite psalms. And man, David just lays out like the first four verses or maybe maybe a few more. Like It's just this lament of just like, God, what's going on? Like he's, He is suffering. And then all of a sudden He's just praising. And you're like, what's happened? Because nothing has changed. This circumstance hasn't changed at all. And yet he understands, even in the midst of suffering, man, I'm going to 
give God praise. So he says, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you cheerful? And then we get this call to pray for the sick where the elders of the church are to be called and upon arriving, they're to anoint the head of the sick in the name of the Lord and pray. And it says the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now there's a lot here. And depending on your upbringing, your understanding and comfort level with the Spirit of God, uh, which I believe we could all grow in our understanding and the encouragement regarding God's spirit. Because guess what? He's not just some uh, secondary part of the Trinity. He's actually God. Like he's a part of the Trinity. And like we like uh, we, we sh- often shy away and push it. No, it's like, no, we should not do that. But if that's you today, man, these verses can seem a bit out there. Also, man, if you've uh, maybe you've uh, prayed for someone who was sick and they man, they didn't get healed and you're like you're upset, you're disappointed. You're frustrated. So these can be hard verses, but let, let me quickly just break down what's taking place here. First, the indication based on the, 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 the passage seems to be that those that, that James is talking about are sick. Uh, they, they are weak and even bedridden in ways that wouldn't allow them to gather as the local body. Second, while the emphasis is on prayer, there is this calling to anoint with oil, which creates a lot of debate. Some people think, well, this oil is medicinal. And all the essential oil people said, hallelujah, amen. It's okay. Calm down. Keep your potion mixing to yourself. Uh, that, that, like we we use essential oils in our house. Like I'm not against them, but uh, we 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 can see it as that. But that's not what's happening here. Some see it as sacramental, which I mean, in the Catholic Church, this is a part of the last rites. They anoint your head, but that's not what it is. Rather, it seems that this act is symbolic and that, man, if you see the anointing, uh, uh, someone being anointed with oil throughout Scripture, what they're doing is they're being set apart for something. Therefore, while the focus here is on the power of prayer and healing and not the oil, the oil is a symbol of setting the person apart for special attention. Lastly, and we're going to get here in more detail shortly, this call for the elders to pray for the sick is the only mention in the New Testament letters where this happens. And so we must lay out the call for the church as a whole to be people who pray for the sick. Something we believe as a church is that the sick should be prayed for and healing should be expected because we have a God who's a great physician who not only heals our hearts, he also heals us physically and emotionally. Therefore, we should pray in faith for one another to be healed. Now, the issue that arises with that is what what if they're not? Well, what if they're not right? Like maybe the, those of you are like, hey, I've done that. And then they, they that person didn't get healed. They're still sick. Maybe you today, you're like, I'm still sick. Maybe, uh, you know, it's like, well, they, maybe they 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 died. What happens if they're not? Well, if they're not, we still trust God that his grace is sufficient. And if they know him, guess what? They're, ultimately, they are healed. Even if they pass away, guess what? They're in glory. His grace is sufficient. It, it, it's praying, man, with faith-filled asks that are built upon the sovereignty and goodness of God. It's dependent prayer. 
This is what we're after. It's this call to prayer that continues really with the call to being a gospel-centered community in the last verses of this letter. So let's close out by reading 16 through 20. It says this. You know, sometimes you think it in a letter, it's like, well, maybe he'll lighten up a little bit. He's not going to. <laughs> Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right, so following this call to praying for one another in the midst of suffering and and, and cheerfulness and uh, in the midst of sickness, James tells us to go deeper through confession and prayer so that we may be healed due to the fact that the prayer of a righteous person has great power to work. He says, confess your sins to one another. When, When was the last time you confessed your sins to another person? Now, not to absolve you of sin, that's only through Jesus Christ. Rather, when's the last time you were honest and transparent about your sin and you surrounded yourselves with others who could encourage, even admonish, and say, hey, that's wrong, but there's grace to pray for you and hold you accountable. Um, like, Like in your life, do you make confession, not simply before God, but before others a practice in your life? You see, confession is a mark of a follower of Jesus. Sadly, it has been lost for the most part in the life of the church. But we are to be a confessing community, not a hiding, embellishing, projecting, and performing community. You know, one of the most common responses, and we know this, is for people that don't come to church and aren't involved in the life of the church, is they'll say, well, I don't go to the church because people are what? People are hypocrites, right? Which we were like, yes, we are. Because the first step of following Jesus is realizing I'm a hypocrite. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I say I'm going to do, right? My yes is not simply yes and my no is not simply no. And so I, I would say, you know, that that's a cop out. But I think the real issue, I think when people say that the real issue is not that Christians are hypocrites, but that we refuse to live in the truth and transparency that we actually are hypocrites. We shake our heads at it. But we're like, yeah, but I'm not really going to live out what that would look like by confessing who I really am. We project and we judge others instead of confessing and crying out for grace before God and others. So again, when was the last time you confessed your sins to others? And why is it not a common practice in our lives? Not not only is confession to be a mark of a follower of Jesus, confession is the means by which we move towards healing. Because guess what? James 4, 6, he gives what? He gives more grace. Like when you think about your life, do you want to know why you continue to struggle with the sins you struggle with? I mean, I believe one of the answers to why is probably a lack of genuine confession. 
Like you want to know why you rage and yell and scream and are so angry at your spouse or children. It's probably because, uh, man, on the one hand, you're going to God and maybe saying, God, I'm never going to do that again. I promise this is my oath to you. I'm never going to do that. You walk out the door and you do the same thing. Because God would also say, hey, man, bring that to light, not just before him. Again, he's the only one that can change your heart and life. But God, he, guys, he uses the church. Like the church should be a part of that. Like we should be confessing and saying, hey, I need to bring this to light. Man, I'm angry. We need to confess it to one another. Because he gives more grace. Well, you run to substance, like maybe you run to continual substance abuse. You 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 get wasted, and then you're like, "Oh God, I'm never going to do that again." But no one knows. Like people probably know, but you're not confessing it to them, saying, "Hey, I'm struggling with this." You know why you keep going back to pornography over and over again, and confessing it to God, and yet no one knows what you're struggling with. Like there's like countless ways, but like do people know? Are we confessing to one another? You see, genuine confession is no excuses. It's calling it what it is. It's repenting and it's seeking humble accountability. It's fighting against sin by bringing it to light and not keeping it in darkness. But the problem is we believe the lie that being a good Christian means you don't let anyone know your mess. Guess what? We are messy. And others see it or they will see it. Because it's going to come out. If you've been a part of the life of this church at any point in the last six years, like we've seen that, right? We continue to see it. And it's not something to shy away from. It's actually what God, like He's purposed us together as the family so that that mess would come out so that we would be transformed and then give Him glory. And yet we don't. We try to cover it up. Keep it in darkness. One of my favorite examples of this is from Friends. If you've ever watched the show, like Monica, she's the one that has it all put together and her and her husband Chandler get married and he, they're in their apartment and she says, hey, I need you to get something. And he goes, is it in this closet? And she goes, no, 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 no. And he opens it up and it's just full of stuff. And he turns around and he goes, uh, you're messy, right? Like, but that was every bit of her mess was just stuffed in the closet. It was packed. And she's like upset, right? Because it's been exposed. But like that's uh, like we just keep hiding it away. Thinking no one's ever going to see it. But guess what? Like it comes out because guess what? God is that gracious and loving towards us. Confession is a must, but along with this, and we see it in the text, community is key and is powerful in seeing our lives transformed as followers of Jesus. You need other people to grow you more and more into the image of Jesus. You need them to be there to prayerfully encourage you, and you need them there to share with you where you miss it so that conviction and repentance might come. Also, you need them there so you can confess your sins. Uh, Guess what? Man, we need less complaining with those we're around, and we probably need a bit more confessing. We're really good at the complaining part when we get around people. But we're not very good at sharing where we're struggling, confessing that, right? Like we love to grumble. By the way, how did that go this week? I left here on Sunday 
went to a picnic, set the keys down, did not hit any buttons, closed the door, and our car locked, and we didn't have a spare key. So Tyler came over and he's like, yeah, you're learning not to grumble, aren't you? And I'm like, yes, like that's what I needed though, right? Because like in my heart, I'm like, I got to confess that, right? Like, because it's inside me, like that just wants to come out. Like we need that. We confess our brokenness and need for hope in the gospel if we want to see change. And guess what? That comes by way of community. Stopping the complaining, calling the calling to confession and praying together for change. We need that. I mean, one of the reasons we need that is like, man, because I I think more often than not, we fear that, man, they're just going to condemn us. And if they do, man, that's on them and that's their sin. Yesterday I had to take our boys to get their hair cut and I got home and I was like, Haley, I just got to confess. I I repented to our children, but I raged in the truck because we were late. And I was so like, because, and and like, I was like, but I just need to confess that to you. I don't like that. And man, I spent the whole drive not condemning myself, but seeking like, what's the root of that? Like, why? Like, where's that coming from? What's going on? And man, she didn't sit there and say, God, you're such an idiot. Like, stop doing that. Like, your kid, you're going to make our kids have to go to counseling. Like, she didn't say, they probably need to at some point, uh, I believe. <laughs> but what she said was she was like, well, let's talk about it. Let's press in. Like, and man, she was so gracious. And I think we, we fear something that's probably not there. The example James gives, he says, consider Elijah, who was a man with a nature like ours. So he says, Elijah was just a regular guy used by God, and yet he prayed in faith, and it didn't rain for over three years until he prayed again. Which is an odd example in light of our need to confess and pray for one another, but it's key when you see the reality that, man, we can pray for one another in the same way Elijah prayed for it not to rain. Our lives should be marked by prayer for one another, and yet, sadly, we do not consistently pray for one another. Rather, our consistency in prayer is praying for, I'm going to pray for this guy. To see transformation in one another's lives, we have to be willing to confess, but we also have to be willing to pray for transformation to come. I believe that while Elijah's prayer for no rain is an amazing picture, it pales in comparison to the prayers of a righteous person who lives for the lives of those, who prays for the lives of those around him. For the dead in Christ to be made alive by His Spirit. For the weak and weary sinner, for the suffering to be prayed for so that they might praise God in the midst of it. Are we praying for one another like that? We have to grow in prayer for one another knowing that it's God who delights to answer our prayers. Which leads to the last bit of wisdom. In light of our prayer and concern for one another's holiness and growth as disciples, which is that we are to be a people who are willing to seek the restoration for one another when we turn from belief and faith to lies. That we should go to one another gently and say, hey, you're running the wrong direction. I see it. Guess what? God gives more grace for it. 
For while God is the author and perfecter of our faith, he uses the church as a means for our transformation and care. I want you to hear this today. Do not forsake your calling to care for others in the church. And that calling is loving service, not judgmental condemnation. But it's also your own act of modeling healthy, Christ-centered confession and honest transparency before others. It's learning to let your own guard down for others to see your life, to speak into it and help you. We, we commonly see that as an attack. We commonly label that judgment. But guess what, man? If they're coming in gentleness and love, if you're calling it judgment, really, you just don't like conviction. And all this is due to the fact that the mark of our eternal security comes by way of communion. Like, because God doesn't just save us and say, hey, go on. You're an individual. He says, no, you're a part of a family now. Man, oh man, just like go and look at man all of the pictures throughout the New Testament, all the pictures of man, even in the Old Testament of God, man, choosing his people Israel. And he says, no, you are my people, right? He says you were once an orphan and you're what? You're an adopted child of God. So the, a mark of being a follower of Jesus, part of that, one of those marks is that you are a part and connected to a family. As adopted sons and daughters, we are not alone. And our faith is never meant to be worked out in isolation. If James's letter has taught us anything, it's that joy in trials, it's that our sanctification and God's more and more grace are all worked out in the context of community. Active faith, which could be the theme of James, is community focused. If you say you have faith, you will show it that faith by what you do. And you will do those things in the context of the community of the local church. So here's a litmus test for you. Are you living out the faith you claim with others? Who see you for who you really are? Who love you even in the midst of your failure? Who allow you space to confess your brokenness? And that love you enough to pray and walk with you through it all? All the while displaying the grace and mercy of Christ. So that you might be restored and transformed more and more to the image of Jesus. You see, this is why you need not simply come to church, but be involved in the life of the church. You can come in here. You can hear four songs. You can hear the preaching of the word. You can hear kids yell and scream. And then you can just go home. And nothing changed. Because you're not known. You're not involved. You're not engaged. Or you come here and you're like, well, that's enough. Guess what? Sunday's not enough. I'm not trying to like fill every night of your week, but like, man, we need one another more than one day a week. Be it through phone call, be it through text, but man, there's something about the gathering together. That face to face, right? Like I can't claim to love my wife and only talk to her on the phone, right? We live in the same house. No. She deserves more than that. And guess what? I need more than that. It's the same for the church. Like the church deserves more of you. So it deserves all of you. Like it calls you to come and die. That's what Jesus says. 
be a part of the family. He says, I know you by your love. He says, man, what I've done for you, man, go do unto one another, right? And I believe that the church should be the thing you say yes to over and above everything else. Does it mean you can never miss? No. But if you're always giving your yes elsewhere to those things and you're giving your no to your church all the time, there's probably something to miss. Because you can't do it alone. We need one another. And so we don't like, we're not a huge program church, but like we want to be relational. And so the things that we put together is because we want to be a people of relationships so that guess what? Confession can happen. Encouragement can happen. We can pray for one another. We can see God transform and restore marriages and relationships and that we can be good, actual good neighbors to this city, right? Just kind of our vision. We need one another. In the midst of suffering and trials. If you, trouble, if you have trouble controlling your tongue, like you don't need another sermon about controlling your tongue, you need to be around people that talk gently to their spouse and their kids. You need to model it. You need to ask them questions like, hey, like, I need you to pray for me because that's what I want. I want to grow in that way. So may we be a people that Don't just claim we have faith, but live that faith out in humble submission and dependence upon Jesus and and willingly say, man, this is who I am and receiving that more grace, being encouraged by the body, seeing lives transformed and man, seeing the city transformed for the glory of God, not for center church, but for Jesus. I know the team come back up. Man, I want to invite you just to to think on these things today. As you said, and you 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 process maybe what are you giving your yes to, or what are you giving your no to? Like what what um, what things are getting in the way? What 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 you know? Where do you need to confess? Like maybe today, like you need to begin by saying, "Man, I need to confess to Jesus that I don't know Him today." And I need to come to know Him. Like, Jesus, I cry for Your mercy and grace. And if you want to talk about that, you can come talk to me about that. But maybe today you're like, one, I need to confess my sins to God. Uh, but also, man, I need to go to someone and say, hey, this is how I've been acting. I'm sorry. I need to confess this to you. And man, if they come to you, your response is James 4, 6, man, praise God, there's more grace. You know, speak who they are in Christ over them. And say, okay, no, I'm not going to pray for you. How can I help? How can I point you to Jesus? How can I point you to obedience? It may that, That's scary. Let's just be honest. But it's good and it's needed and we should just make it a natural part of who we are. Because there's freedom. There's actual real transformation. There's a lot of joy. That's what will call us to sing praise. So I want to invite you to respond in that way. Also, if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to come and share in communion. As we share in communion, we are reminded of Jesus who came and uh, He gave Himself fully for us. That, That He took our sin upon Himself. He died and that He rose again in victory. So we can find hope even in the midst of suffering.
that he is good. And so I want to invite you, you can grab the bread and the cup are here. Um, and then we're going to worship. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful for your grace. We are grateful for your word. God, that your word, um, it both encourages and convicts. God, that the good news reveals our brokenness, but it reveals that, God, that you uh, are the avenue by which our brokenness is fixed. God, it reveals our orphanness, but also that we are adopted, uh, that we are a part of a family. And God, that it gives us the freedom and the empowerment to actually confess who we really are with no fear of condemnation, with no fear of judgment, because you have taken that upon yourself. And God, we give you glory for that. God, you've also called us into the church to be a people who confess with one another, who share life with one another in such a deep way that, man, the world around us would look and say, man, they're different. There's something about them that's different. May we be that kind of people. May we stop with the facades and the performance and uh, all those things, but may we just lay bare. This is where I'm at. Even if it's messy. Because I, I, man, I, I believe God, that your word is true and that, that you say that even in that mess that you restore the years the locusts have eaten. That there's no mess too big for you. And that we all come with it. So man, maybe we'd be willing to share it. So that we may find freedom in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.